IGN Playlist is a new home to your game library. Rate games, share lists, and log your game time powered by How Long to Beat. Sign up for early access today at playlist.ign.com. Listen! Hello and welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat. I forgot to call you Super Nintendos, but that doesn't mean you're not my Super Nintendos still. Today I am joined by Pear Schneider. I will always be your Super Nintendo. This is true. And Super Nintendo industry legend, Kat Bailey. I'm a little hazier on being a Super Nintendo. We'll see. Oh. I, I would rather engage in the discourse. The discourse. There's always so much discourse. Discourse rules all. Let's dive right into some discourse then. If you haven't uh, heard, the Game Awards are next week. That's where they give awards to games. It's very literal, and I appreciate that very much. Mm-hmm. And our first topic today is predictions for the Game Awards. Uh, Jeff Keighley tweeted out that he has been working with a major studio for the last two and a half years on a super reveal. And of course, everybody who follows Nintendo's thinking that it's a Breath of the Wild 2 trailer that's going to be exclusive and, and massive. Pear is shaking his head because he doesn't think that's going to be it. And uh, oh, it's going to be the Chrono Cross remake. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's. I, I do think that Nintendo's got something there. And I, I do mm-hmm. hope it's, uh, you know, another life sign for Breath of the Wild 2. I think, you know, Nintendo likes the Game Awards. People always attend. You know, in the past, uh, uh, Reggie's always been on the show. Um, and we are overdue for a life sign of that game. And yep. Nintendo definitely wants to give people something to look forward to for next year. So I, I do think that there could be a release date announcement trailer or something like that for the sequel. Mm. But I don't think that that's what Jeff was uh, teasing when he said, we've been trying to get this for two and a half years. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's more something in the Bethesda direction or something. Oh, really? I was going to say uh, that I think it's just him and Kojima just been buddying, like having a sleepover or something, hanging out, and they've been working on something. But uh, maybe we'll, we'll see. Bethesda's a good yeah. one. That's too easy. You can't say Jeff and Kojima as as your, your theory because that's a given. Well, <laughs> I mean, something. maybe they're going to announce that they ordered pizza and Pepsi. And they're going to uh, watch movies all night together and just go. hang out. Keely's best pal, Hideo Kojima. Yeah, that's so. sweet. That's sweet. It's nice. I think in terms of Nintendo, it's worth looking back at the kind of the track record of the Game Awards okay. in terms of Nintendo reveals. I think that uh, if I recall correctly, maybe it was 2017 that Reggie came on stage and announced that Bayonetta 3 was a thing and that Bayonetta 1 and 2 were coming to Nintendo Switch. Uh, in 2018, if I recall correctly, Joker was revealed for Super Smash Brothers ah, yes. Ultimate as one of the, the, I believe the second DLC character, I want to say, for that game. So uh, I do not recall what 2019 and 2020 looked like for Nintendo Switch reveals. Nobody recalls I, I think, those years, so that's okay. Well, 2020, I just kind of banished from my yeah, memory. So. Exactly. But I think that in terms of, maybe that's the scale of reveal that we're talking about right here. So in that sense, Metroid Prime Trilogy question mark? Ooh. So now it's it's for me, it's becoming less of predictions and more of like a, a wish list. Like I would love mm. to hear something about Metroid Prime Trilogy. Not that we've ever heard anything official, but well, there have been a lot of rumors yeah. that it's the not not actually a Metroid Prime trilogy, but an actual just Metroid Prime uh remake slash remaster for Nintendo Switch. That seem the game awards seem like a really good venue for a reveal like that. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you if you go back to if you take him literally on his like two and a half years ago, like if you go back to E3 2019, that's, you know, or, or whatever, whatever E3 was that year. Was there an E3? Hold on. 2020. 2018? Yeah, there was. Or 2019. 2019, yeah. right? That's the last that's one we where, had in person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, that's when the Breath of the Wild sequel trailer was shown for the first time. That's why I think a lot of people are jumping to that being the game. And I really want it to be that game. But like, uh, yeah. I got to do some digging and see what else was shown in 2019 as revealed. Let's see. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Sure. (laughs) I mean, surely Breath of the Wild 2 is going to get its own Nintendo Direct, right? Oh, absolutely. When Nintendo is really ready to show it, they're going to give it its own Direct. It's just going to be tears of joy for all the Nintendo fans. Ghostwire Tokyo would be the other one. That That was a big one being shown, right? Maybe we'll finally see the Switch Pro. <laughs> oh, finally. <laughs> After every episode since I first started appearing on the show, I think we've mentioned the Switch Pro. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility given the fact that we got a Switch OLED and a lot of people think that maybe that was supposed to be the Switch Pro. They just couldn't get the, the components together. So that's sort of a stopgap measure. Although, I don't know, people seem to think that and i think that but then then you think about nintendo just loves to iterate on its consoles anyway so but yeah switch pro would be wonderful huge announcement they're not going to do that but i don't (laughs) i don't think that nintendo really needs the game awards as much right um i I don't think anybody really needs the game awards because they have their own streams (laughs) they have their own platforms in, in order to get games in front of things the question that i have is who is the audience for the game awards who is watching them that wouldn't necessarily be watching a Nintendo Direct, for example. Mm. So you theori- Theoretically, if Nintendo were to reveal a thing at the Game Awards, it's because they want to get it beyond it to a wider audience, beyond your typical Nintendo audience, right? Yeah. So. yeah it's, 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 it's the place where people watch who may not even have a Switch, and so I think it's a good way you know to to market to people who aren't already bought in and and hearing the nintendo gospel so i think it's a good good idea but i mean it could be it could be a microsoft game it could be a sony game it could be a nintendo game but certainly the timing matches for breath of the wild too yeah i'd be interested to see like a segmentation study of the audience of the game Mm -hmm. awards Mm. oh boy segmentation studies here you know i'm a big chat I'm a big fan of the segmentation studies, as you can tell by my other podcast, Segmentation Voice Chat. Um, nice. No, I, I would I would guess that the large majority of people who like tune into the game awards and like really get excited about are probably PlayStation players more than anything else. So? Yeah. Well, I think about I think the biggest reveal that I've seen at the game awards in the past several years has been microsoft showing the xbox series x oh that is the first true time, yeah truly showing one. it off yeah. yeah and i remember that they showed hellblade very briefly i think they mm. announced hellblade to the game awards as well so if anything i think of xbox as more leaning into what uh, the game awards is all about the commercialization mm. and stuff like that yeah, the game awards are weird because there's it's december and by december like, i've checked out Black Friday is done. Like I'm, I'm useless now. I have no value to this company after Black Friday. So I just check out and like uh, the game awards. It is. It's hard to recall what happened one year to the next. And I'm not trying to 
crap all over the game war. That's just... true, Seth. You have lots of value to <laughs> Nintendo voice chat. Is oh, that is true. Thank you. Yeah, this I, is why I you're decided that like you are my super Nintendo. <laughs> oh, oh uh, all super yeah. family calm again. Yeah, around. <laughs> It's beautiful, but uh, I'm actually going to head down to the Game Awards this time. Oh, you are. Um, you know, it's uh, it's open to a, a, a small, smaller group of people uh, in, in the audience, and um, I'm ready to to spend three hours watching watching Jeff reveal winners and and trailers and stuff. So it, it should be fun. Yeah, and that is in Los Angeles, right? It is in LA. That's right. And you have to get a very fancy uh, fancy suit. Do I have to dress up? Yeah. That's the rule. <sighs> That's the rule. Like the Oscar, it's the video game Oscars, right? <laughs> it's true. Well, what do you? Who are you wearing today, pair? There's oh going to be gosh. red carpet and. That's that's the next. I love the idea awards. of video game fashion designers at industry events. This is great. That actually is kind of cool. I, I brought some. I just got back from Germany, so I got some new Blofeld Oberhauser jackets. So oh, of I can, course, I can wear something like that. Yeah, I don't I do know my... what any of that means, but that's just that's just a supervillain from James Bond. Has Keely announced <laughs> yeah. any Muppets in, uh, in doing the presentation? Can you hang out with the Swedish chef? Rub elbows with him. Well, he his, was. He actually has human elbows. Through. He was in the Muppets, in the Muppets uh, Haunted Mansion special. So, yes, he was. you know, maybe, maybe there's something with a mustache, right? <laughs> I, I love that. How off the rails this conversation has got. It's wonderful. I mean, I think that it, I enjoy speculating wildly about what might be at the Game Awards. The truth is that Nintendo fans are just like, what's next? Come on, give me more, more direct. I hunger. So this is just standing in for your typical Nintendo Direct uh, speculations, like Metroid, Zelda, you know, all of that stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, I think the Breath of the Wild two solid release date new trailers. Uh, as I'm saying it now, okay, but let, let's be real. Let's let's talk for a second about okay. Breath of the Wild two. Let's do so it. it I'm, I'm ready to talk about Breath of the Wild 2 at any it was moment. Last, so we're talking about, well, the timing's right, you know, and the reason I was saying, is it? It's like, okay, we last saw a new trailer during Nintendo's uh, E3, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and it was a, a brief trailer kind of that almost seemed like it was hyping up Skyward Sword a tiny bit. Mm. Beyond that, we haven't seen much of anything of breath of the wild 2 we barely know any of the details no we don't even know the name we don't (gasps) even know the name it's just future breath of the wild 2 (laughs) game the sequel to legend of zelda breath of the wild project coming out (laughs) 2022 but we all know how that goes with uh the pandemic and everything Mm -hmm. and nintendo is very much a when it's ready kind of company yeah i think it will come out in 2022 it's been in development for a few years at this point but it seems like nintendo is not going to really show it until it is good and ready to do so and i'm just not convinced that the game awards is that venue oh yeah here's here's what like as we talk about it i convinced myself now that breath of the wild <laughs> 2 is for sure show go, going to be shown uh okay. pro- project triangle chaser if square were to name it um 
I th- I think they'll do what they what they did uh, a few years ago when they revealed Breath of the Wild, which I think Nintendo saw as a really effective reveal that didn't show much, which was, remember, it was a screen that showed the landscape and then this talk about the landscape coming alive and, and having randomized events. And then, you know, one of the uh, one of the uh, what are they called? The um, God, my, my brain, uh, 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 the principal enemies in, in Breath of the Wild, the uh, Watchers. No, what are they called? Oh, uh, the Guardians. The Guardians. Guardians, Jesus, um, age. Uh, one of the guardians <laughs> running through and firing beams all over the landscape, and you know, like I think it was Miyamoto um, uh, and uh, Aonuma sitting in front of the screen. Like I could imagine something like that. That isn't a you know a trailer designed to be shown at a convention, but more of this. Hey, here's this understated look at what the world will look like that gets everybody excited. I think that's what we'll see. Mm. Yeah. Thirty seconds. <laughs> just it's all we hey that's more than we showed it exactly. if a breath of the wild 2 trailer were shown there it would instantly be the biggest uh discussion point of the game yeah world. that's like, true people would be very excited about that but, god knows we'd be freaking out here on nintendo voice chat yeah by the way check us out on friday as we react to everything that happens on the game awards that including is. a potential breath of the wild 2 trailer exactly <gasps> and but but think of also the the other thing i mentioned is like there's been more and more rumblings around Starfield, right? Like, why did Bethesda publish something last week? Oh, that's true. Starfield developers, yeah. Any footage? There was no new footage in it, and you know they have footage, and they could have peppered something in. That to me suggests that they're holding back something for next week. That mm. makes a lot of sense too, because of the existing kind of relationship with Xbox, right, and the existing mm-hmm. history with Xbox. Yeah, I could totally see Starfield being the game that is the big one, the big reveal yeah. for the Game Awards. And I know that it's Nintendo, but man, I'm so excited. I'm yeah, so oh, excited that's my that most game. anticipated game of the year. Sorry, <laughs> Nintendo fans. I'll, I'll play Breath of the Wild too, as well, but Starfield is just... It's cat. You're a catnip. Yes, I, I think Starfield <laughs> is the game that we'll be playing uh, on, you know, our Switch Pro 2 in 10 years. Just Starfield still. voice chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is our uh, Game Award predictions. Uh, we've decided that Breath of the Wild might be there, but it probably won't. But it could be. Maybe it won't be. <laughs> it so will be. Tune in next I'm, week. I'm sticking to, find to my out. guns. It's Metroid. Metroid is going to be the one that's shown. The, okay. the more I think about it, the more I. I think the Nintendo's just going to throw a curveball. And it's either going to be one of those, oh, Nintendo, you sons of sons of guns, you rascal, the curveballs, or it's going to be one of those ones that everyone... Star Fox Zero coming to Switch? <laughs> Finally! Mm. One of the last Wii U I games that hasn't been ported over yet. <laughs> With a new mode in it where you just wow. fly a drone as, as, a, as a new character. A drone Amiibo. Oh, yeah. New drone amiibo that you'll only be able to get on eBay. Uh, you guys are brutal, but I love the idea that Jeff Keeley was so excited to finally reveal the Star Fox Zero port that he would tweet that out. <laughs> He's been waiting for two and a half years to reveal it. I don't know Star Jeff Keeley, so that could be he could be a huge Star Fox Zero fan. Hates, no, hates Star Fox Zero. Oh wow! Like he just texted me and said, "I really hate it." <laughs> oh, by the way, I made that up. I made that up. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't don't pull that quote out of context, please. But those were our Game Award predictions. Next week, we will, as Kat alluded to, we will be a day late because we want to react to the Game Awards, which are on Thursday, which is usually when we record. So sorry about that, folks. I know that some people really like to have their Friday morning uh, podcast fix. 
especially all the oh my this i just want to mention that uh we were on so many people's spotify wrapped as like their top podcast and i thought yes that was, that was super cool so, so like sweet. thank you I to know. everyone so cool who, who listens to every episode we want you to join Rogue Jam and help design the next hit video game from Rogue Games, creators of Super Impossible Road, Arcanium, and Sprawl. Now IGN and Rogue are teaming up to offer half a million dollars and an exclusive publishing deal to the best finished and in-progress games we can get our power gloves on. Submit your game between November 29th and December 31st, 2021 for a chance at $800,000 in prizes. Your game must be playable because that's what makes it a game. Finalists will be judged as part of Rogue Jam, an all-new series produced in partnership with IGN. So look for that in 2022 or head to roguejam.com to start the submission process now and get your game on the show. Get designing. We're going to move on now to our most underrated Switch games of 2021 because it is the end of the year. It is December, which means we must look back. We must look wistfully on the year in the, that, is, that, is, that we are <laughs> winding down now. As we move into 2022, let's look back at our most underrated Switch games. And this one took me a little bit of thinking about, but I'm very hmm. interested to hear, Kat, what was your most underrated or most underrated Switch games? of 2021 i think bravely default 2 is my ah. most underrated nintendo switch game of 2022 okay think, or 2021 i should say it's year 2021 yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> i'm already thinking it's like 2022 it's already here but bravely default 2 is a game that i did not expect to play all that much i was going to dabble in it just jump into it and yet somehow it just had this strange magnetic pull on me and i kept playing and playing and playing and I ended up going all the way through it and beating it. And I actually wanted to do all of the post-game content as well, which is actually kind of wild because it takes a lot for a game to have that, to grab my attention that fully. And when I step back at it, I think, wow, Bravely Default 2 is just a well-constructed RPG. Isn't it? It's so much fun to play with that turn-based combat. It does Ugh. a much better job of pacing out its grinding compared to the previous games. Yes. The, the jobs are all very rewarding. It's super fun to break the game really heavily. <laughs> and the boss battles are so fun. Each yeah. one is its own little challenge that encourages you to mix and match your strategies and your job classes. And when I look back on this year, Bravely Default 2 is definitely up there in terms of my favorite games, which I never expected to say going into this year because i didn't really care for the original bravely default oh wow yeah i mm -hmm. i reviewed this game and i i loved it a lot mm -hmm. and it is a testament to how much of a good game this is that when you review a game uh for those who aren't aware you kind of it you have to play it kind of fast and a lot of the times by by the time the review publishes you're like well i don't want to play this game again for a little while but immediately i, I was kind of like you can I, I wanted to start doing the post game stuff and uh i wanted to keep playing it because it was just a super fun jrpg the kind of uh turn-based role-playing game that i've been wanting forever and a lot of games get kind of close but a little too much action in them but this one's like mm, this is like if uh, final fantasy 7 never came along and final fantasy <laughs> just kept that same sort of super nes uh format with it but yeah uh, that wasn't going to be my my most underrated switch game but now that you have mentioned mm -hmm. it i think that's a very a very good one and if you haven't played bravely default 2 
Uh, it was on sale for $27 on Black Friday. And it was rather popular with the IGN Deals audience. So I hope there's a lot of people out there right now. Um, one of the, my favorite parts of Bravely Default 2 is that you can speed up the battles to this ridiculous oh, yeah. pace. Yeah, and it, it, like you said, it makes grinding, well, it makes grinding less of a grind. You can just go around and finish a battle in just minutes, or rather seconds instead of minutes, and just, man, go with it. It's a, it's a super fun game, and it's cool looking, and it's fun. Yeah, and I the think battle what grabbed me great. is I love the costumes so much and the weapons. <laughs> I think that is an underrated element of like really good art design can do so yeah. much to pull me into a game. And every time I got a, a new costume and I got to see how each character looks yes. in them. That is important. Each character looks different in the outfit slightly. I mean, it's obviously the same outfit for their job class, but yeah. Ah, that's something I always wanted when, uh, you know, like back in the 8-bit and 16-bit days. I was like, well, I got new armor. Why doesn't my character look any different? I didn't understand how mm -hmm. memory worked back then. But yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful game. That is a great pick for underrated Switch games. Pear, do you have any underrated Switch games that you would like to, to bring up? Yeah, I've, yeah I've, I've just quick three one one i'm cheating a little bit grindstone came out in december last year like late december and it kind of was it was very much under the radar it was more expensive on switch than on mobile grindstone is the best puzzle game on switch it's so fantastic and nobody talked about it on switch simply because it released so late and uh it was was at the end of the year definitely you know it has high ratings but it's underrated in that it's not talked about a lot mm. and i would say the same thing applies to nintendo's own bowser Bowser's Fury. I thought, I think Bowser's Fury is just such a wonderful little open world Mario experience, but because it was so short and it didn't have many secrets, it kind of went, right? It was like flash in the pan, like gone. Uh, Bowser's Fury is really, really excellent. It was bundled with Super Mario 3D World, which, you yep. know, when I went back and played it, I actually discovered that I liked it a lot better than when I first played it. The sped up, um, the, the the faster speed, all of that uh, really made me appreciate it more. And it has some really brutally difficult levels as, as well. But Bowser's Fury really was a little gem that I don't think people talk about enough. And that came out back in February. And then the last one is, I brought this up like two episodes ago, is a port of uh, a game called SnowRunner. Uh, oh, Snow yeah, Runner. yeah, yeah, yeah. Snow yeah we were talking about that earlier. That was a good yeah. game. SnowRunner is 40 bucks on Switch, you know, it's put out by Focus Home Interactive. And it's a it's a survival game in heavy construction equipment where you get your cars stuck in the snow and in the mud and you yeah. have to pull them out with winches and all of that. And it's a it's a really nice switch port. You know, it doesn't look as good as the other machines, but like it it's it's just a, a wonderfully frustrating, unique <laughs> game. Like there aren't a lot of titles like this for someone to make a game that's all about the frustration of being stuck in mud and like it being such an addictive loop is 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 really great. It it's got it's got warts, it's got issues, like the menu system and the pathfinding, all of those things are complete nonsense and not well developed, but um <laughs> this is it's really fun if you're out of games. And then I have a ton <laughs> of other things that um that that just came out that we'll we'll talk about more in the what we're playing section. Oh, okay. I want to meet mm -hmm. the person who's out of games because I salute <laughs> you. That's the case. It's right, but if you like cars, or you know, you've got um, like in my case, if you, you I've, I have two sons, and like you know, they're they're into this this sort of stuff. They're into survival games, but they're also into like these big trucks and stuff. And like yeah. sitting on the couch and like kind of handing off the controllers whenever you're getting frustrated is just a really fun way to play that game. I 
forgot to look into it because I know that I will love love that game because I don't know mm-hmm. if I've mentioned it. I own a truck, so you own a truck. I own a, a real life truck, not wow. not DLC. Yeah, so uh, it's a little bit too shiny for me to take Is it, it off like road. The big truck. It's an it's a Ford F one fifty. Isn't that the best selling car in the it's United the best States? Best selling uh, truck model in the history of. The United trucks. States, uh, as opposed Trucked to them. the Toyota Hilux, which is the best-selling truck in the history of the world. So, nice. yeah, F one fifty is a wonderful automobile. <laughs> Do you haul a jet ski? Looking at me right now, if he's listening, because I <laughs> mention it all the time, and he's like, "Oh, you have a truck? Oh, okay. Have I hauled anything in it? Yes, I haul my trash to the dump." Oh, okay. I thought you had like a jet ski on it, and like any time you can break out into no, we have kayaks. We used to have to okay. pack them into the back of my wife's car, and it was <laughs> very dangerous because you could not see. And so now we don't have to worry about that anymore. This is the F-150 Lightning that Red is showing right now. This is the all-electric <laughs> version. Nothing to do with Nintendo voice chat, but if IGN Cars ever comes back, I will start that podcast because right. I will talk about the F-150 Lightning. But that is not my most underrated Switch game. As far as I know, there are no F-150 games on the Nintendo Switch. Mine is, uh, it's also, it's not exclusive to the Switch, and that is Axiom Verge 2, Mm. which I have Axiom Verge. I bought it whenever it came out, and it's still shrink-wrapped, and I never got around to playing it. And then, uh, for whatever reason, I just decided to download Axiom Verge 2, and I got right into it, and I loved this game. I loved this game so much, and I think if it weren't in a year where Metroid Dread came out, uh, this would have been the absolute best Metroidvania that we'd seen in a long time. But unfortunately, Metroid Dread is just so, is so, I mean, Metroid Dread is built by a studio and this is built by one person. So you put that into fact and it's, it's even more amazing. But I actually, I absolutely loved Axiom Verge 2. There's all these, like you can see it right now if you're watching on the video, there's this weird, like almost game boy color levels when you turn into your little drone and you go through the dimensional portals and the, everything changes about it the, the graphics change they're chunkier the music changes it's a little less uh, uh full it's more chip toony than ever but yeah i couldn't tell you what's exactly going on with the story it's a little dense uh there's a lot 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 there but it is a fun game and it does one of the greatest things that any metroidvania does and that is on your mini map it actually shows you a mini version of what it actually looks like instead of just a blank square. So you actually can tell by looking at your mini map. Have I been there before? Oh yeah, I remember because there was that that little pole right there. Or there was a yeah, you can see the mini map. It's man, Axiom Verge 2. You should be playing this game. It is wonderful and it is very fun. And my other underrated game is Project A Train. That stupid game. I love that game. It's so fun. I got to get back into it. I just put it back on the Switch OLED. I'm really excited to see how the uh, OLED screen handles those amazing trains and uh, and city graphics from uh, Metropolitan Japan. So those are my underrated Switch games. Very nice. Axiom yeah. Verge 2 was weirdly dismissed when it came out. I was always a little puzzled by that because I was like, oh, really? Axiom yeah. Verge 2? Is- I thought it was going to be good because Axiom Verge 1 was excellent. Yeah. Contra meets Metroid. But Axiom Verge 2 is a very different game from the original Axiom Verge. See, that's, I have to take your word for it because now I'm afraid to go back and play the original one because I have heard. The original is awesome. You got to play it. Okay. 
All right. Well, I will. I will break the shrink wrap <laughs> on it in my pile of what, of what Switch specifically. Games. So you you were talking a bit about like how you enjoy the graphics and like the way it changes and everything. But I'm curious, like what specifically about Axiom Verge Two like really spoke to you? Is it the exploration, the action? Yeah, it was definitely the. There was the exploration was a huge part of it. I like the 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 going into the cross dimensional thing was much bigger and a little bit deeper than i was expecting it to be it wasn't just you know like a light world and a dark world it was you know paths that you could only unlock in the other dimension but not in a way where you would i don't know how to explain it not in a way where you would see it and be like oh i'll come back to that later like in a traditional metroidvania game you're like oh that door is green and i don't have a gun that shoots green bullets yet so obviously i can't go through that one so there was a little bit more depth to it than that, but mostly I think aesthetically it just was very appealing to me. I like those old retro game styles. So, nice. yeah, and I didn't know what to expect too. That was probably the best part of it. I just knew that it looked mm. interesting. So, that was a great feeling when you go into something absolutely not knowing what to expect. Um, oh yeah, just recently I rewatched the entirety of Cowboy Bebop with somebody who. Had heard the name, but knew literally nothing about the actual show. And she was like, I was like, so what, what do you think Cowboy Bebop is about? And she's like, a, a band? <laughs> and I was like, we're going to have a good time with this show. And she did. Breaking. That's really show. funny. Yeah, that's uh, another one of my uh, pop culture blind spots. I have not watched oh, Cowboy Bebop. You should watch Cowboy Bebop. Don't watch the live I know. action show. No, I heard that the live action one's a bummer. Yeah, but yeah. I'll, uh, I'll check it out eventually. But. There it is, our most underrated Switch games of 2021. Now it's time for everybody's favorite part of NBC, and that is Cat Take. Cat, what cat is take. your take oh, man. for this week? So much discourse to go through, but... So much discourse. I'm not going to be here next week, so I'm just going to break out my annual Game Awards Spoiler. Okay. a year early, or a week early, I should say. So, yeah, the Game Awards, it should be kind of... I, I feel like I shouldn't be expecting too much from a show that is explicitly designed to be another E3. Um, it's just a giant commercial, and Jeff Keighley <laughs> owns that, and I respect it and everything. Like, we put the trailers and the reveals front and center with the Game Awards, but honestly, I do think that we as journalists could do a little bit better in terms of how we approach the Game Awards. When I look at, for example, the get the best game of the year, which does have some pull, like winning game of the year at the Game Awards does mean something. I don't really see any indies. I it takes two is mm. sort of the indies game this year that they decided to throw in. Good choice, by the way. I have to say, I'm glad that it's <laughs> mm -hmm. in there. It's not going to win. It's going to be. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you think the prohibitive favorite is? Deathloop, maybe, maybe Metroid. Dread. Yeah, I think Deathloop will probably be the winner. Yeah, something it's like a, that. Uh... I yeah, think journalists do a darling. terrible job. I think journalists do a terrible job of choosing these games and should be a lot more mindful about how they approach different categories. Like if you look at the sports game category, they put FIFA in every single year. It drives me insane because yeah. FIFA is not a good sports game. And will be the show is so much better. And this is adjacent <laughs> to Nintendo voice chat. But to me, it's emblematic of how journalists just kind of throw games in there. And I think that we as a group could just do a lot better with the Game Awards. And then the Game Awards itself, frankly, yes, I know that you got to have more time for the awards and or for the actual commercials and everything. But please, for the love of God, like 
treat the actual awards with more care and more respect because these people, these creators do deserve it, do deserve a lot more than just to, you know, be quickly read through mm. before we jump to the next trailer, right? And I know that I'm thinking about this way too much, but I have to watch the Game Awards every single year. And it has become a, a centerpiece event for the holidays like that gets the entire games industry talking. Well, let's let's really make it an actual genuine celebration of video games, which is what it purports to be. So that's my Game Awards rant. And also the content Ooh. creators of the year stop nominating streamers and put like actual interesting YouTubers and essayists and reporters on there. OK, content creator of the year is a big thing. It's not just streamers. Yeah. That's it. That's, if that's I can, it. if I can. I think no, I think that's that that's really a really good cat take. If I can add a little pear take to that, um, I, I, the part I like about the Game Awards is that it is sometimes very difficult to get gamers to show up for an announcement of an award. Right? Like people will argue over review scores all year long, and you know when we give a game a ten, people will say how amazing the game is, or say no, it's not that great. Blah blah. blah right? There's this kind of instant reaction to a nomination and. An an award like that. Um, what I like about um, Jeff's approach is that he does use, obviously he gets a lot of mileage out of showing reveals and trailers, but it gets people in and they will be exposed to games that they might not have paid attention to and they will see these awards. Now, the, the stuff I don't like, and you know, Jeff's announced that Sting is going to perform, right? And Sting is going to perform something adjacent to games, so it's connected. But like that feels like it's this holdover from the Oscars, right? Mm. Like where it was this gala that was supposed to entertain not just people watching at home who were obsessed with uh, celebrities and music and musicians and all of that, but also the people in the room. And we don't really need that. Right. Like I, I, I agree with you that there should be a little bit more of a focus on the actual games that deserve the accolades. But I also understand why he designs the event the way he does, because it is difficult to get gamers who already knew back in January that a game was a nine out of 10 to get them to show up for a celebration in December nominating it. And then. Yeah. To your specific point about the indie games, I think that's the challenge of aggregation. The moment you have a very big group of people nominating something, it's the big most played titles that will always shine through and come through, right? Whereas like in the individual awards, you will see that IGN gave Journey Game of the Year one year, or an indie could break through in a category because it's a more Hades. compact team. The moment Hades is a great example, right? But the moment you have this big kind of industry with websites voting that may only cover one platform or you know in it like it's it's usually the most played games that are at the top of the list and occasionally one of the smaller ones um well maybe the solution then is to have an awards committee that is a lot more curated i should say than i know that like being a judge at the game awards is not not the broadest thing for the most part but Having an even smaller committee, and yes, I know that brings its own challenges, and you have to have a fairly diverse committee and everything. I think that when it comes to a thing like this, like we should be trying to think about how much we curate the actual choices so that we don't constantly go, really? These games, these are the games, this is a game that we're choosing that's going in the biggest awards event. It's it's the most yeah. important awards event out of all of them. I would wait. I agree. That 
I think I, I think you know th- this this kind of one size approach fits all you know, it shows some 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 uh, cracks and it does when we pick our awards too right like in our awards yeah. people who haven't played FIFA can't vote for it or nominate it right like we are requiring that uh, and and the groups picking the different categories aren't necessarily the same and not everybody votes on every category and so what I think for a major event like Jeff's could be smart is to get get enthusiast sites like operation sports to Mm. have you know put up three people and have you know another sports gaming site put up three people instead of making it a a free-for-all like that i think that'd be really good so you're saying assign acknowledged experts in each category like (laughs) so cat cat you and a handful of others alex donaldson a few you're gonna curate the sport the rpg category and there we'll get go. Operation Sports to do the sports category. Is that what I'm saying? That's right. All right. That's that's right. Okay. I right. actually I was proposing that Cat does all the categories except <laughs> except for sports. The Cat Take Awards 2020. That's right. That's Ooh, right. I like yeah. that. I was going to say, as far as Cat takes, that was probably your spiciest one yet. Whoa. And I Whoa, really? really liked it. Yeah. I think uh, that was. That was the, uh, if this were hot ones, hot that was the last dab. The Game Awards is flawed, folks. Yeah, and I think that, I think that you, what you're saying is fundamentally 100% correct because the Game Awards needs to sort of, I believe, evolve because for the, at first, the first few years of the Game Awards, oh my God, wasn't it refreshing to see video games being taken seriously in a Game Awards that wasn't mm-hmm. the Spike TV Game oh Awards where like TV, babes. PGAs were really embarrassing and it shows and they were much. embarrassing then <laughs> it's not really like in hindsight yeah. it shows how much so, games have changed uh, hindsight all hindsight if you want an actual spicy take linked between world as uh, legend of zelda link between worlds is a best zelda game there you go there's my actual spicy cat wow She's yeah. been waiting, yeah. waiting for that. Well, you've said that to me so many times, so it's not that spicy for me. But yeah, actually, it's my favorite. If, if I don't it's think built it's up the tolerance. Best. No, she's got a T-shirt that says that. Actually, <laughs> if it's your favorite. Then what, that's what's the best. Oh, the best is still uh, it's a link to the past. Because uh, we were past. doing the rundown, right? Uh, there was some Zelda discourse over the weekend, and I was going. Yes. I was reflecting on the fact that Ocarina... This is a bonus cat take, I guess. Ooh. I was reflecting on the fact that Ocarina of Time is frequently listed as among the best, but it's never listed as the favorite. Like, nobody was listing them as their favorite. People, like, throw out the usual, like, Wind Waker, Breath of the Wild, A Link to the Past, that kind of thing. But Ocarina, people go, oh, yeah, it's one of the best Zeldas, but uh, it's kind of aged poorly and everything. So that's got my mind turning. Here's, here's my bonus, bonus cat take. Ocarina Whoa, of Time is... Through the looking glass now. Still magnificent. Still a magnificent game. Very playable. Just don't play it on Nintendo Switch Online. It's pretty bad there. Yeah. I, I think that's really, I think emulation has not done this game a ton of service, but it kind of holds up in terms of dungeon design and sheer scope. It's a really impressive yeah. game. It's the best N64 game. Shocking. I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at these yeah. spicy cat takes. Ocarina of Time is good, actually. <laughs> the Game Wars is flawed. Here we go. Uh, uh. Uh, well, thank you for the bonus bonus heritage, or, uh, cat takes, because now <laughs> in the topic of best games of all time, we have to go to Pear's pack pitch for the top 100 games of all time. And this week, Pear will be regaling us with tales of Super Metroid for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> 
I like how I get the I get the no brainer picks um, to to introduce to the top one hundred because like if you if you ask ten people what games belong on the top one hundred, um, if anybody said not Super Metroid, they'd be fired, of course, uh, immediately. <laughs> no, it's just it's Super Metroid is such a it's such an easy pick because it's a game that surprised us when it came out because of how how it followed up on the original Metroid and how it kind of remixed environments you already knew and and reintroduced you and and just made it so beautiful and and uh atmospheric on the, on the Super Nintendo um but it's also a game that you can go back today and it's still as fantastic as it was then. Yeah. It's a very compact experience. So it's not your sprawling 20 hour, you know, classic uh, Super NES uh, adventure game or modern 100 hour, what have you, open world game. It's it's a game that you can beat in a few hours and most people probably beat in, in seven to eight hours. Um, but it's also a game that you can spend, spend much more time in, in the way it's designed and it doesn't handhold you. There's no marker to say where to go next. You are cast in this world and best best Nintendo games always open in the rain, right? Like it's just this atmospheric, <laughs> awesome moment. It's raining and it's quiet and the music isn't doing much. And then you explore this area and then, you know, everything's asleep and slow. And then the whole thing wakes up and it's populated with all these enemies. And as you go deeper and deeper and descend into the, you know, kind of like the layers of hell, the bosses uh, get bigger and the enemies get tougher and, you know, the environment gets more hostile. It's just such a great game because it invites you to mess around with the new tools and the new abilities you've found. And sometimes you don't know what the limitations of those abilities are. Like when you, for example, unlock the ability to run really fast, you think, you, you try out what you can do with it. Like, can you smash through walls? Can you outrun this closing door? All of these things that you discover and you'll find that some of the things that you thought you could do, you can't do yet. And you will need another upgrade to do that. It's just that experimentation and like discovering a new ability. And then like something clicks in your brain where you go, oh my God, now I can do and do this and open this door or swing across this chasm that I can't before. That That's what makes it so special. Now, the sad thing is that because you now have learned the language of Metroid and Super Metroid, some of that is lost today. So when you go back to a game like this and you see a colored door, you know exactly what opens right. it. And, you know, you, like you understand the language of the game. It's the same with the Legend of Zelda games where when you see a hookshot target, you go, I know exactly what that means, right? Which is <laughs> why it's so important that these games evolve and that we get new tools in future games. And I think Dread did a really nice job with that. But um, it's just Super Metroid to this day just remains a classic of graphics, game design, mood, the atmosphere and and just fantastic music uh, and and character design throughout. Yeah, and so I, it deserves to be on our list of top 100 games ever made. And it is on uh, Nintendo Switch Online. That's right. And you don't have to pay extra. You just pay the base one, and you can play through it right now. Or I think I've mentioned this little life hack before. If you buy the Japanese version uh, on eBay, it's much cheaper than the U.S. version. You get the box, which is superior, and most of the inserts for much, much cheaper. And you just toggle the language because it's actually the same ROM on the on the uh, the U.S. version and the Japanese version, and there's just a language option that you can you can click. So that's my my little life hack there for you to, if you want to play it on original hardware. Not cheap these days. No, yeah. good Only not lord. One box. 
Cat, you were hmm? you cat, you were so patiently quiet during my pear tale, but like I do believe that you like Super Metroid very much, right? I still think it's the best one in the series, and I think that if you want to pick the platonic ideal of an amazing game, uh, Super Metroid is the best game ever made because wow, it is just it's it's a miracle of design. It is so perfectly paced, so tight. The world, the 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 world is so gorgeous. The uh, it does such a great job with using the Super Nintendo's uh, technology. It does an amazing job with its minimalist storytelling. It revolutionized speedrunning as we know it today. And some of it was a happy accident, I would argue, such as the birth of speedrunning. But its legacy is multi-layered in the way that it created genres, it created categories of games. And it's still wonderful to play today even in a way that maybe 8 and 16 bit other 8 and 16 bit games kind of aren't it is mm. i think the just if i were to pick one game that i said like what what game shows that the super nintendo was truly an awesome console super metroid i i love your i love your pointing out that every great super nintendo game starts in the rain which is true because i mm-hmm. i remember being blown away by that in like 1993 because <laughs> that was the detail that separated it from say you know, an NES game, right? An NES game couldn't do rain in the same way. You'd be like, oh my God, so atmospheric, so amazing. Listen to that rumble of the thunder and the, <laughs> yeah. the rain crashing down. It's gorgeous. Oh, and man. I, and also, it does such a great job with the nostalgia at the very beginning because you go into the base from the original Metroid, right? And you're seeing yeah. the ruins of everything. Mm-hmm. It's very spooky. You see the little bugs kind of skittering away. Oh my gosh, they were doing this on a 16-bit game. All of yeah. these wonderful little details. Such a it, yeah, yeah, it's that environmental storytelling. The bugs, I love that that mm-hmm. moment. I love the eye scanning you and the whole thing waking up. It's like you just it's like the Minds of Moria scene, right? Like, uh-oh, I touched something, <laughs> and now you know, now the drums of war are gonna sound. And like that game just does it so well, not through cutscenes, but just by letting you explore it. And then I will say one more thing: the the final boss battle is was unique back then because we hadn't. Usually, it's a very mechanical affair, and in in this game, um, you get this moment where Samus is beaten, and you and, and you worried about what's happening, and then help comes from an unexpected source, right? Like it's just such a cool, holy crap moment at the end of the game, and then you've got the whole ex- escape, and oh yeah, it's so good. I was yeah. saying earlier that a link to the past is the best Zelda game. I love that there's a ROM hack that combines them, combines Super what? Metroid and a link to the past, and speedrunners play it a lot, and it's wow. really really great. Like you're just going back and forth between them. A lot of fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. The one of the things uh that I think is kind of lost now, but at the time, Super Metroid sort of felt like the the absolute realization of the sixteen bit dream. Uh for me person at the time, I just remember, you know, all of these things that I wanted from the eight bit games when I was playing them on NES that the NES just was incapable of doing. Mm-hmm. The designers just blew out. On the Super NES, the graphics were just, you know, infinitely better. The music was so incredible. The, the games were just cute, so much bigger. The sprites were bigger. Everything about it was just bigger and better and sharper. And the 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 design, the controls. And so it sort of just felt like, um, you know, this evolution and, and the peak 
of evolution of gaming. It could never get any better and than the Super showing Nintendo. Showing our age by being like never Super did. Nintendo. Never tops the Super <laughs> Nintendo. And I feel I like think it's important to see that like at the time that is something that you you can't really understand now was how all you know all of you these kids don't understand yeah, get, get off my lawn you damn kids you know much, the, the much talked about scene where you you use your power bomb to to burst the uh, the glass pipe right <sighs> like that's a that's a moment where we thought we had learned the language of games in the nes days where you could tell what you could discuss destroy on the screen what you could yeah. right games just kind of messaged everything and you always said oh that's an ev- environmental piece like the environment is just there you kill the enemies you don't destroy the environment and like then this game like let you take out this giant piece of the screen is that 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 was a, a mind-blowing moment too and metroid dread does it like 10 times yeah <laughs> <laughs> you like this scene we're gonna do it yeah. again and again yeah that is Super Metroid. It is one of the top 100 games of all time. Obviously, I, I don't think. Yeah, uh, if you have not played Super Metroid, I think you should play it. And I think you should play it with an open mind, because if you go in saying this is the, the best game ever, according to everybody I've ever talked to, you're going to only find things wrong with it. So go in there and just be like, I'm going to play this game because I've heard it's real good. And I promise you, I promise you, you will enjoy it. And you're going to want to play it again because there are certain things at the end you have to do you you probably wouldn't know how to do uh, on your first playthrough so get a guide go to ign wikis <laughs> i think we have one of those i'm sure we sure do. but when we were we on the topic of super metroid we brought up metroid dread and that brings us to our next topic which is what nintendo series should get its dread in other words what dormant nintendo series should be revived in which series has the best chance to pop off in the same way as metroid dread and we have uh, an article about this on ign uh which is nintendo's major franchises we've just been tracking the years since the last entry in uh in many of nintendo's most storied franchises but i'm interested to hear cat what dormant nintendo series do you think should be revived does pikmin count pikmin dread yes i want 60 fps pikmin yeah i think pikmin as a series gets weirdly short shrift among nintendo franchises i really love the aesthetic of it and they this was it came out in 2001 back when people were saying hmm can we ever get a real-time strategy game on nintendo and this was shigeru miyamoto's kind of solution. He was just tooling around in his garden. He's like, what if I made this game? And it was a very clever game. And people, when people talk about the very greatest, you know, Nintendo games ever made, uh, Pikmin rarely gets mentioned, but it is so, you know, emblematic of everything that is Nintendo. Do I, do I think that a new Pikmin game has an opportunity to pop off in the same way? say metroid Dread does not really captain captain olimar is not nearly <laughs> as iconic as say the sama I, I i think mario samus and link are kind of the iconic trio of nintendo yeah. characters in many ways and that's maybe why metroid Dread ultimately was able to pop off but are there more opportunities for pikmin on the nintendo switch yeah definitely and i would like to see them 
I'm a huge like, Pikmin fan. Would love to see them finally count to to four. As yeah, we, whatever. I was going to say, what happened to that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So many it's, rumors over the years, and just they never materialize. Yeah, didn't Miyamoto say like, oh yeah, we're working on it, and like at the beginning of the Switch? Yeah, he did. But that doesn't mean that. Oh my God, there's a Game Awards. Boom, two and a half years. It doesn't mean that they, that they also didn't stop working on it when they go. Uh oh, we have to get Breath of the Wild two ready, uh, right? Like yeah, that's, that's the, true. That's the issue. Nintendo is not afraid to put things on pause or abandon concepts that didn't provide something truly new. I, I don't think the Pikmin fran- Pikmin franchise is, is done. I think it'll come back. For for my picks, so you you said two things. You said which one could be revived, and you guys know me enough to know that I will always put F Zero at the top of the list, even mm. if they even if they just get us back, uh, you know get get amusement vision um uh back on the uh, on the case the the remainders off um and and make uh and port it or make a new one but if zero is always at the top of the list wave race would be my number two neither one of those have the potential of like a mario or zelda it's like pikmin right like they'll they'll they have the potential of doing well but they are these are genres that aren't the top genres and so i'll pick the obvious but you know um controversial one which is earthbound we haven't yep. seen a new earthbound yeah. game for uh y- you know since what mother 3 was 2006 right um and it came out in japan only so it's been longer in the west um but yeah uh, it's it's been a long time since we've heard <laughs> a life sign of the earthbound franchise obviously in the background uh you know there, there were challenges with the development of three on the n64 and ultimately got canceled and then a new team brownie brown was uh, brought in to to use some of the original concepts but built a very different game on the on the game boy advance um but rpgs are hot um, RPGs are now bigger than they've ever been. And, you know, yeah. JRPGs are performing well in the market. Indies have brought yes. in RPGs that are very different. And in some cases, even, you know, using pixel art and can sell millions. And then Western RPGs are also huge. And RPG elements have infiltrated open world games and other genres as well. The time is right. I mean, the characters are popular through Smash Brothers, even to people that have never played an Earthbound game or were huge Earthbound fans. Um, Earthbound, it it just feels like a game where Nintendo could find the biggest Earthbound fans on the planet that are working for a major development team and and, and let them loose on this. You know, think of think of the team be- behind Luigi's Mansion 3 that have done such a fantastic job adapting a you know an NCL EAD made game um for for the Switch and really knocked it out of the past uh, 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 out out of the park imagine you let them loose on Earthbound and and reuse some of the characters and themes and music well so much of Earthbound is comes from Itoi right and Itoi <laughs> has kind of moved on over the years so maybe that's why we haven't in a new Earthbound, but I agree with you mm-hmm. here, right? That I mean, so many indie games traffic in the appeal of <laughs> Earthbound. I mean, category number one would be Undertale, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, like I think that Earthbound, out of all of the dormant Nintendo games that could be possibly revived, that is absolutely the one that has the greatest chance to pop off. 
And and that's ultimately right. Like there is you you know there is behind the scenes there was friction uh, with Itoi. Itoi is a a great and quirky writer, but probably not the greatest kind of uh, project manager to get uh, a project done. And obviously Iwata himself stepped in uh, in the past to to finish projects and and help get them in the right direction again. Um, you know, Itoi is a Itoi is a writer, and you could have a new take by a new by a new writer on earthbound or somebody could do a remake like not a remaster of earthbound on the super nes but like actually take the story and the scenarios and build a new 3d game with some new surprises around it could be fantastic yeah and i think that would be enormously successful i think it would be humongous i think earthbound has achieved this legendary status where so many people like i I wasn't a big earthbound fan right like it's it's one of those games where that i was aware of and i dabbled in but i never really got that deeply into like you know some of our friends who uh, created entire websites like starman.net and all of that right and um but I think it's achieved legendary status where the wait for a sequel is so big that I think a huge number of people would play it. And Smash obviously uh, hasn't hurt hasn't, uh, that either. Yeah. People still bugging Doug Bowser and Reggie about Mother 3 coming to All Switch or whatever. Yep. Localize Every it. night when they close their eyes, the last thing they see before they fall asleep is a tweet from somebody <laughs> totally. telling them to localize Mother 3. Well, my dormant Nintendo series is one that not a lot of people like, and that would be Kid Icarus. Ah. I loved Kid Icarus on the NES. I think that might have been the first NES game that I ever played, actually. Mm-hmm. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. And the 3DS one, I have somewhere, but my kids played it so much that I never saw it. So I don't know where it is. But that's the last Gone that forever. we had. Yeah, it's, it is gone forever. No, there's nowhere to know, no way to know where that game is. Like seriously, but I I loved Kid Icarus, and I would like to see it come back. And again, it gets a little bit of a smash boost because people know who Pit is, and Palatina, and Dark Pit because of um, Smash. So you know, it's a great way to just bring back their old. Uh, will it pop off though? No, it won't pop off. Not not in the same way as Dread. It's Kid Icarus. Like nobody cares about Pit. Nobody knows that his name isn't even Kid Icarus. <laughs> it's not named Kid Icarus. Is this a Metroid situation? Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's that's the big problem there. Kid, Kid Icarus, though, I, I think it's an interesting one because the you know I liked the 3DS game, but I felt like it was on the the wrong platform. Like the controls, mm. the controls, the game imposed didn't weren't natural on the 3ds like you you know they had to release additional solutions to make it comfortable and like i i could imagine adapting this for switch and the game actually being significantly better because of the the controls uh set up on the system yeah it's yeah. a the, nintendo has a, a few kind of interesting um franchises like kid Icarus, like pilot wings is another one obviously oh, where, I love where like you sure could go. imagine like a new game would be really really cool but then you always have to ask but if they worked on that instead of donkey kong smash yeah. zelda mario is that a good choice for that studio right yeah i think a lot about Star Fox. Uh, I think I've mm-hmm. mentioned this it's kind of off brand for me that i mentioned pikmin instead of Star it's Fox. weird I yeah i apologize yeah <laughs> but I think I think a lot about like how they could bring back Star Fox because, frankly, the shmup genre is very dead, and I yeah. can understand why Nintendo is like why why would we make another 3D shmup? But 
If you released it as a downloadable only game, perhaps as a Nintendo Switch Online exclusive, I think mm. people would be kind of into it, right? I mean, you could just, I think the problem with Star Fox over the years is that they've just tried to come up with gimmicky solutions with the controls. We were joking about Star mm-hmm. Fox Zero earlier and everything, but I, I think that maybe not releasing it as a full-blown package game, but more of a, a downloadable treat. Just you can have a new Star Fox as a treat on Nintendo Switch yeah. Online. I th- uh, I th- maybe, maybe that's a path forward. I thought Star Fox 2 was kind of a cool, like a cool release in that, you know, they, they dug out something uh, that, that we never thought we, we'd see the, the light of day. And great. like, yeah, and it was, it was cool to have that. Yeah. And so I don't think they've given up on Star Fox. I'll, I think we'll get more Star Fox in the future. If Detective Club can come back after 24 years. It's true. I'm sure Fox McLeod and yeah. his other plushies can come back too. Star Fox <laughs> is interesting, if you don't mind me going on a little tangent, because I mean, Dylan Cuthbert and Giles Goddard, you know, they worked on, they were such a big part of the original Star Fox Mm -hmm. and, you know, lending their programming expertise. And then years later, they did Star Fox Command and everything. So um, I feel like the fact that they're long gone from Nintendo and everything, like Nintendo loses a small part of its legacy as a result. Now, Star Fox 64 is the most popular game in the series, still, I would wager. So, um, that it still has some cachet, I think, with a certain kind of fan, maybe a, a fan named Cat. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. and to those into Star Fox as much as as Cat is, um, look up uh, Devs React to Star Fox. That's an IGN video we did um, earlier in the year where we actually brought back Giles Goddard. You know the uh, the. Uh, the famous uh, uh, Gaijin developer at uh, EID at Nintendo um, who worked on that game. And he does a developer reaction commentary to a speed run. It's a 22 minute video. It's really fun to watch. It's a, it's a, it's, it was a neat programming trick back yep. in the day. Yep. yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's how it all started. Like gimmicks. Mm-hmm. The series needs gimmicks. Oh, Star wow. Fox 64 was just like, now it's in 3D and it has a yep. voice and it has a rumble. It was like a tech demonstration, right? And rumble, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I'm still playing it. Just, I haven't been playing just, it as much. I finished Star Fox 64 the other day, like my annual playthrough. And the thing <laughs> that it made me want to do is get a hold of an N64 from the IGN office, which, by the way, I went there with Reb the other day. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I saw a whole bunch of N64s. I'm like, I'm going to steal one of these. I'm going to grab a copy of. Uh, Star Fox uh, 64, and I'm going to play it the way it was intended to be played. That's on right. a 13-inch Samsung television. Dang right. <laughs> oh, jealous. Uh, all right. We have to go through December releases because it is December, believe it or not. What? Uh, yeah. Please okay. forgive me for mispronouncing any names. The two people who lived in Japan will laugh at me <laughs> and I say Dairoku, Agents of Sak. Uratani. Sakuratani. Did I say that right? Dairoku. Agents of Sakuratani. Right. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, well done. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Good for me. That's because I've been training with Big Brain Academy, Brain versus Brain, which is out tomorrow. I actually haven't been playing that, but uh, I do love me a, a Brain Academy. Danganronpa Decadence, which is very hard for me to say out loud, comes also comes out tomorrow. Disney Magical World 2 Enchanted Edition. I wasn't aware of that one. Last. 
Yes, finally. Monster Rancher 1 and 2 DX comes out December 9th, which is the Game Awards. And then Eterna Noctis. I'm not familiar with that one. Comes out on December 15th. And I guess that's it. There are no more games coming out for Nintendo Switch in December. But uh, all right. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Kat, what have you been, what have you been up to this last uh, two weeks since we, we recorded a show? Well, I'm in the process of moving, so it's been a little bit harder for me to find time. I think I mentioned that I beat Star Fox 64 yes. again just recently. Um, I was playing it on Nintendo Switch Online. I had a friend over who had never seen it. She had never played through Star Fox 64, and I was like, well, the nice thing about Star Fox 64 is that you can knock it out in about an hour. And so oh, really? I, yeah, that's really short. So I just went through, played it on Nintendo Switch Online with the N64 controller. It's and I just I took my favorite route, which was going through Sector Sector Y, which is basically a big Gundam tribute, and then to Katina, <laughs> which is a big Independence Day tribute. And then uh <laughs> continuing on through Solar, Solus and uh Macbeth. And Macbeth is great because you're fighting the train. I love just chasing after the train and the landmaster, uh, blowing it up. It's one of the most satisfying levels. And then culminating, of course, in Area 6, which for my money is the best shmup level of all time. Like All is. the best games have train fights. Final <laughs> Fantasy 6. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So I, I was really struggling with that N64 controller, though, because I've played really? Star Fox 64 a lot over the years uh, on emulator. And I got... Oh, nice. yeah. You know, I'd set up a dual shock or something to be able yeah. to do the controls and it wasn't perfect, but uh, the analog sticks were just a lot better. Going to that hard plastic N64 oh, yeah. controller that analog stick, I was just chunky like, oh, octagon God. gate on there. <laughs> being able to center, like there's so much drift. Like being able to actually center the R wing was really challenging, actually. And so as a result, I was doing significantly worse than I normally oh, would wow. in terms of being able to get high scores and everything because one of the things you do in Star Fox 64 is try to get the highest possible score so that you can get medals and then if you get all the medals you can unlock expert mode there's a lot it's a lot to do in this game but ultimately I had a great time with it it was it's a classic I'm glad I revisited it on Nintendo Switch online but I was also feeling you know kind of the difference on the Nintendo Switch online versus playing on a traditional console and that kind of thing. And that's why I was thinking in my head, oh, shit, just get an N64 so that I can mm. play it the right way. This is this is like one of my two or three favorite games of all time right here. And you got the CRT for it, so you should do it. I got the CRT. Yeah. I'm moving into the new house. The CRT is going to be sitting right next to me. I'm just going to be able to break out the N64 and be like, no, I'm going to play some Star Fox 64, get all the medals. It's going to be great. This is my oh, 2022 nice. project. It's funny you bring up the sticks because I've been using my N64 controller um, on, on the Switch and played Super Mario 64 in Ocarina of Time uh, a, a bit a few weeks ago. And like, it, it feels right to do the crouch and the jump with the Z trigger, right? Like instant muscle mm. memory in Super Mario 64. Like it feels better. But yeah, the sticks, I've, I felt like the sticks, it was kind of tough to navigate some of the narrow areas. Like when you have to balance on things, you know, um, or walk over a moving uh, a, a rail or something like that, uh, where it's actually better to use the uh, the Pro Controller now um, or, <laughs> or, or, or the Joy-Con. But yeah, that's... Uh, there are certain things that feel right, like Z-Trigger for Ocarina of Time, and then the stick is not awesome. Was it always that stiff, or was it just that we 
when we were playing N64 back in the day, we would use the stick so much that it was just super loose because we spun it so much playing that, Mario 64. Or, or broke it with Mario Party. I think that's, it's, <laughs> it's that. Yeah. I think it's honestly that. Yeah. I have one, and it is, this one has been abused. See, that one's much looser, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, ugh, it yeah. feels horrible. It feels like it's it's in, it's embedded in sand. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> it's gross. That's, uh, somebody gave it to me. I have like ten or fifteen N sixty four controllers. The famous controller shavings that will gather inside. <laughs> yep. That is true. One thing I noticed trying to play with the N sixty four controller. I'll show it for examples now, and this is an aside. But for whatever reason, I I want to hold it with a little bit of an offset so when i try to push up i'm actually pushing mm. up right because of just the way that uh you know we're so used to being an where analog sticks are my hands have adjusted to where or i should say i'm trying to push up left whatever yeah no you're absolutely right and, and that's why controllers are no longer trident shaped yeah or yeah. And never work again, <laughs> or never again. Yeah. such a weirdly experimental controller Nintendo. I love it, but it's it mm. definitely is. It wasn't the final form of the controller. It's an iconic. No. But that was when, yeah. uh, it's so emblematic of how we were thinking differently. It was like, oh, okay, how do we translate into 3D? This is our journey into 3D. We're developing the analog stick for the first time. We're developing 3D cameras for the first time. And I mean, credit to, I remember being a little salty about PlayStation. It's like, oh, they just stole the analog stick and turned it into the DualShock. But of course, the DualShock is one of the iconic controllers mm -hmm, yeah. ever. They did a phenomenal job of translating what Nintendo started into a brand new controller. I, the N64 controller, it's almost like it's the missing link, right? Like when you look mm -hmm. at an evolutionary tree, it's literally when you look at it, it teaches you where controllers are going. It goes, and the old way to hold it was on the outside with a D-pad, but now the new way is to play with an analog stick. And so it's it's this visual explanation of the evolution of controllers. And then the next evolution just got rid of the left prong and the, the D-pad uh, <laughs> position like that. Um, I always, I always, um, you know, I, I always felt though that the step up, then the DualShock kind of adapted the placement being kind of down, and you were having to sideways push up, and then the more modern controllers placed their analog stick on the left, which I still prefer um, the, the Xbox and the uh, uh, Nintendo way of, of placement than the PlayStation one. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. Well. What have you been playing with your uh, offset controller? So I um, I went to travel to Germany um, last week. It was my mom's 80th birthday, and we celebrated oh. in a small circle um, of vaccinated and tested people because, uh, you know, there's a lot of scary news uh, uh, right now, obviously, and you probably shouldn't be traveling. Um, but I got back. Um, I'm okay. Uh Shin Megami Tensei 5, which, uh, you know, I gave a shot because of uh, uh, Kat here. Um, and funny enough, I said that I never played a Shin Megami Tensei game, but when I played it, I'm like, this is oddly familiar. And I very distinctly remember conversations with demons and trying to uh, convince them to join my team. So I must have picked up one of the uh, Shin Megami Tensei games from my Super Famicom some 30 years ago and not remembered wow. it because it was all very, very familiar. Um, I really like it. It's... I think it's a good looking game. It's got this very dreamlike presentation. I like the sassiness. It 
it starts off tough, right? Like you, you can get yourself mm. in, into trouble very quickly <clears throat> where the bot, the enemies are, are strong and can take you out. And like, it's a game that uses save points and you'll have to restart um, from a save point. So if you don't pay attention, you're exploring and collecting a bunch of stuff and you're not saving, you can lose an hour of play. And so you've got to be smart about that stuff. There's an easier difficulty mode that makes it a little bit more accessible. Um, I'm digging it. I'm having a lot of fun with the uh, loop of collecting demons and then combining them and evolving them to get more powerful ones. Uh, the game started clicking to me when you know you 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 kind of have the unlocking the map element that's in a lot of games nowadays. You know where um, you open up the map and find more collectibles. Um, it's cool. It's. Uh, it's definitely, it's not a chummy game. And I think our review talked about that, how it's kind of difficult to relate to the characters, right? Like it's not a kind of backyard story like an Earthbound or, you know, like a Final <laughs> Fantasy where you get to know and love the characters. It is, it's very cold sometimes um, because of the the setting and the theme, but it's, um, it's, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's really good. And then uh, I also, I took some other recommendations from the last episode when we talked. I started Ruined King, which is the League of Legends spinoff. I'm not a League of Legends player, so no affinity there. But like this is from the team that gave us Darksiders Genesis. They did um, Battle Chasers Night War before that. Um, good, good good developer, um, Airship uh, Syndicate. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice... Um, it's a nice effort on Switch too. It's a beautiful looking game, very traditional turn-based role-playing game uh, with uh, you know uh, with, with kind of like a, a new take on a lane system for the the combat modules. Like think Final Fantasy uh, with kind of like the active time battles. Very pretty, a little more blurry on the Switch than on the other platforms. You know, as you can imagine, the resolution isn't there. Uh, Played a little bit of Pokemon, uh, started it, only put about an hour in. I'm going to play some more, but it just felt like going back to a game that I played before and finished um, with all the kind of like slow development and I was getting a little impatient. So I switched to Reb's uh, suggestion, Eastward, and I'm really digging it. It's a game that looks visually like Chrono Trigger, art style and kind of pixel art wise. It's uh, a little bit, uh, so far, a little bit less RPG, more kind of like puzzle solving adventure game where, you know, you have like kind of like the more block puzzly sort of um, approach. Um, all... All of these games are, are really, really enjoyable, really fun. And then while I was in Germany, Death Store came out. So one more game to add to the list. I don't know how to juggle it all, which also <laughs> looks really neat and, and nice on Switch. So got to take a breath. That's That was a lot of stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, was, Paris playing SnowRunner because... <laughs> I, I did it. It was, no other look, game. It, was a, it was a 12-hour flight there, so I got some playtime in, then an 11-hour flight back, um, and I watched also some horrible movies. Um, Ooh, which movies? Uh, I'm trying to remember that one. What, what was that weird... Uh, uh, um, oh, I watched Old. Sham, M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, oh God. Beach. And How I said. I thought it was absolutely atrocious. I have not, <laughs> I've not experienced dialogue and performances from good actors this poor. Uh, you know, the younger actors are fine, but uh, every grown up, I don't know if it's his writing. It's just, I, I absolutely, I, I usually like Shyamalan movies, even the, the bad ones. Um, I find something to like. I really didn't like this one. 
like hated you know what it. horrible movie i saw over the weekend mm-hmm. ghostbusters afterlife That's oh you didn't like really it bad movie yeah no I seen it yet. the first 75 percent of that film is okay i like i love the original <laughs> 1984 ghostbusters like i i am yeah, a as you should because fan. it's amazing yes yeah uh Ghostbusters Afterlife is 75% a decent follow-up to the original movie, and the last 25% is just the cringiest, cringiest oh, rehash no. of the original film. It is CG Harold Ramis. That's all I'll say. CG Harold Ramis. It's so bad. It's so, so bad. I just, by the end, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, you just saved me $15, so I I mean, if that. you like I mean, it's a it's a kids movie. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. I I know that this I I could talk at great length of how I don't totally think that uh, there even needs to be a sequel to Ghostbusters at all. No, no. The original was fine. Yeah. Ghostbusters 2 was bad. And why do we have to go back to it? But it really is just (laughs) a very poetic return to the original Ghostbusters where all of the the kids are like, wow! I got the the trap and the proton pack, and now the Echo <laughs> One has a gunner's chair. Amazing! Look at all these cool toys. And, and you, you can get those too exclusively at Walmart. And you Aww. got Paul Rudd, who is to stand in for the aging millennial, going, "Wow! Look at all this cool <laughs> stuff!" And I'm like, "Oh my god! This movie is telling me how old I am. This is horrible." <laughs> Clearly, this was not a movie made for cat. No. no. Wow. No, no, no. I did. I, I forgot. I forgot the other horrible movie I watched. It was a comedy with two women going to a resort. Two women from Wisconsin. Uh, God, I'll, I'll remember later. But uh, I, I, the movies, the general, the movies were so bad i just went back and watched an old tony scott movie who is an underrated uh director and the brother of uh, he was the brother of ridley scott right um i watched unstoppable which is this nobody knows this movie it's a denzel washington chris pine train movie where train is uh, a runaway train needs to be stopped through all sorts of uh train driver shenanigans yeah like tony scott's movies are almost all great um but he isn't talked about much and unfortunately um you know, passed away a, a few years ago. Oh, Ridley oh, Scott yeah. is—he's—he's uh, he's been on a little bit of a tear lately. I have to yeah. say, in terms of the actual <laughs> headlines, I love the one where he blamed the failure of the last duel on millennials. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! You kids and your screens. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know Tony Scott, he did obviously direct a True Romance. Um, you know, mm. and uh, had had a Great couple movie. of really really cool action classics. I have to—I have to veer it back. It's my job. We have to do question block. Mm-hmm. Because we're almost out of time, and it sucks. Because this is a great question block that we have, and I don't—I almost don't want to bring it up until we have more time because it's a good one. Uh, all right, let's just do this one: buy one, rent one, trash one. Super Mario World, Super Metroid, A Link to the Past. Ooh, what? boy! Not gonna do that. Buy oh, one, rent one, trash question. one. <laughs> Monstrous. That's an easier one to answer than the the other one that okay, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna put buy in the one. bank. Oh, the the choices are buy one rent one trash one. The choices are a link to the past, Mario World, Mario Three. You said mm-hmm. no Super, Super Mario, Mario World, Super Metroid, Link to the Past. Mario so, World, Super Metroid, Link to the Past. Yes. So it's a okay. Sophie's Sophie's choice, right? Yeah. It's uh, sure. a link to the past is my favorite of the three. I would buy that one. Super Metroid is my second favorite. I would render it that one, and then I would have to trash Super Mario World, which is. Just, yeah. not just sobbing cool. while you throw it in the garbage. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking years. 
Yeah. I'm taking all of the fun out of this and I'm looking at it from a very, you know, business-like standpoint. I would buy Super Metroid because the resale value on a complete inbox is incredible. <laughs> I would rent, exactly. I would rent a link to the past just because, I mean, I love it, but ultimately I always end up falling off and I would trash Super Mario World because it is so easy to replace because it was the god dang pack-in. Oh, that's right. There's a million copies of that, so we can trash them all we want. There we go. I feel better now. I would buy A Link to the Past because uh, you can't just finish that game in one rental. Uh, that is true. <laughs> I know I'm going against the spirit of the actual question. The, the question is really saying, which one is your favorite? Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, Super Metroid is my favorite. So that's the one I would buy just so that I could have it and I could replay it forever. A Link to the Past would be the one that I rent because it's the one that I enjoy playing over a weekend and just, and that I put it away for a long time. Don't think about And then. Super Mario World. I'm so sorry. I'm really, really sorry. But this is coming after my my big rant that Mario Three <laughs> is true. And Mario World. So we all know where I stand on this. Yeah. One. Well, there it is. James Gold. You're not a good man. <laughs> well, that is all the time that we have now that we've destroyed our our favorite games. Uh, follow us on Twitter at NBC Podcast. Submit your questions to NBC at IGN.com or on the post on the NBC Facebook page. I want to say uh, thank you to the panel as well as to Red on the ones and twos. It's also Red's anniversary today. So happy anniversary to Red happy anniversary. for working. Uh, workiversary, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan for working behind the scenes. And most of all, I want to thank you for hanging out with us. And remember, NBC is the only place where you can get the thing. Get the thing. Bye.